Good morning, Sister Sylvia Bay. Good morning, brothers and sisters in the Dhamma. Pay homage to the Triple Gem. Arahan Sama Sambuddho Bhagawa Buddham Bhagawantam Abhiwatemi Swakato Bhagawata Dhammo Dhamman Namasami Supatipano Bhagawato Sanwakasanho Sangam Namami Let's pay our respects to the Buddha. Namo Tassa Bhagavato Arahato Sanma Sambuddhasa Namo Tassa Bhagavato Arahato Sanma Sambuddhasa Namo Tassa Bhagavato Arahato Sanma Sambuddhasa Going for refuge, Buddhang Saranang Gachami, Dhammang Saranang Gachami, Sangang Saranang Gachami, Dutiyampi Buddhang Saranang Gachami, Dutiyampi Dhammang Saranang Gachami, Dutiyampi Sanggang Saranang Gachami Tatiyampi Buddhang Saranang Gachami Tatiyampi Dhammang Saranang Gachami Tatiyampi Sanggang Saranang Gachami Let's take the five precepts. Panati pata viramani sikha padang samadhyami Adinadana viramani sikha padang samadhyami Kamesumichachara viramani sikha padang samadhyami Musawada Viramani Sikapadang Samadhyami Suramiraya Majapamadatana Viramani Sikapadang Samadhyami Recollection of the Buddha, Dhamma and the Sangha Itipiso Bhagawa Arahang Samma Sambuddho Vijacarana Sampano Sukato Lokavidu Anuttaro Purisadammasarati Satta Deva Manusanam Buddho Bhagawati Swakato Bhagavata Dhammo 
Sanditiko akariko ehipasiko opanaiko bachatam veditapo vinyuhiti. Recollection of the Sangha. Sufatipano bhagavato sawaka sango. Ujupatipano bhagavato sawaka sango. Nyayapatipano bhagavato sawaka sango. Samichi patipano bhagavato sawaka sango Yadidang chattari purisa yugani Atta purisa pugala Esa bhagavato sawaka sango Ahuneyo pahuneyo dak Kineyo Anjalikaraniyo Anuttarang Punyaketang Lokasati Sadu, Sadu, Sadu Brothers and sisters in the Dhamma, today we have uh, Sister Silver Bay with us to talk about Sabah Sava Sutta. The first couple of slides are the simpler ones, not too taxing on the mind. You can take your time to regain strong activity. Okay? Now, today we're going to talk about Sabah. Asava. Sabba means all, everything. Asava. Asava, I will explain shortly. In my mind, this is one of the truly beautiful suttas which really, really show, demonstrate the incredible brilliance ingenious of the Buddha. So I will explain in the next slide why we are doing this sutta and what's the significance of the sutta. Then we will talk about asavas, I will explain asavas before we go into the sutta in full. All the parrots in the sutta. So today will be a fairly long session. Okay? Before um, we'll end with final thoughts. Take a moment to digest the words. I said that this is about negating seven staining habits of a regular mind. Let me explain. Huh? If you look at your own mind, your own mind, no need to look at other people's mind, just your own. On a daily basis, at any one time, would you say that your mind is spinning a story? It's talking by itself. That talking by itself, I call it narrative. Okay? So a regular mind talks a lot, and it always talks about me, I. 
And when it talks about other people, it will also talk about other people in relation to me and to I, to, to myself. So if you say, my son, my son, he is a good boy. There is a part in you that says, it's my son. I'm telling you about my son. So it's about you, not about our boy. Okay? So the first habit of a regular mind is narrative, talks, spin stories, construct stories. And the stories are all about himself. The second habit of a regular mind is it drifts. It will float, move from object to object to object to object. So your narratives, when it drifts, is really drifting about whatever catches your attention, then your narrative starts. Whether the attention, the attention that it catches is within you or outside, you see something, oh, it reminds me of the other day, reminds me of last year, something like that. So as it drifts, as it drifts, it, gets, it will be caught by something, it will land, and then your narrative will start. So the two things are working together. Huh? What, look at your own mind. The third part, we say, I, I use the word essential, and that's because in your life, there are things that are necessary for you to be alive. Food is necessary, clothing for modesty, otherwise police catch. Huh? And housing, medicine, these are all essentials. Okay? So your mind when dealing with essentials will also get caught up by the essentials. That's why we all have fondness, so much fondness, so much attention, attachment to food. Food is an essential, but after a while, food is not about essential. Food is about pleasure, okay? Painful and pleasurable. Absolute nature of life. There will be things you like and there will be things that hurts you. And, and your mind will only be caught up by these two. What gives you pain and what gives you pleasure. And the final thing, which we will talk about, oh, sorry, the last two things, but the final one that is caught up with the regular mind is unwholesome. You look at your own mind, okay? If you are national average, now we must, we must not talk about the above, way above national average. We just talk about the national average. A national average is not 50-50 wholesome, unwholesome. It's probably a, a chunk unwholesome, some chunks neutral, neither unwholesome nor wholesome. And that small bit, or maybe a bit more, wholesome. What do I mean? How often a day do you think about Meta or Karuna? It's very conditional and situational and episodic. Your Meta, your Karuna, the patients, they are all very episodic. More often than not, your mind is caught up with, I want this, I want that, I prefer this, can you not do that? All these are unwholesome. Okay? And the last one is my own word. I call it fumigation. Fumigation actually because this last thing, it is not part of your habit, but if you're going to be a sincere practitioner of the path, 
Fumigation must become your habit. Okay? I will explain it. When you go into the sutta, you will see, you will see what they mean. So, we are trying to negate six, actually I should say six staining habits, with the seventh one being to, to really do it clean. So, it's fumigation in the sense that you're really cleaning, cleaning down to your core, the essence of your mind, the deepest recesses of the mind. Okay? And the Buddha introduced seven methods to tackle each of them. Seven methods. At the end of this talk, you will be equipped with seven ways of tackling the habits, the unhelpful habits of the mind. How beautiful is that? This sutta original audience, the first audience, were monks. So sometimes people will say, hey, they are taught to monks. How is that relevant to lay people? I feel very strongly that they are just as useful for lay people. For lay people, know the methods, you can use it to tackle certain habits in your regular life. Lay people doesn't mean you cannot walk the path. You will have your lay duties and responsibilities, but at the same time, you too want to be happy. You too want to understand the Dhamma so that you can be heir, heir to, of the Buddha's Dhamma. And if you want to be heir of the Buddha's Dhamma, you must know his teaching and the methods of taming the mind. So I said, particularly for serious practitioners, you really must know these methods and make them a part of your regular habits. Along with your regular mind, have the, these habits, these methods, methodology to help you tackle your regular minds, okay? Finally, a critical point, I think, is we're doing all these things so that we can experience peace, ease. I love this word, ease. Because just as we become sick in the body and the mind, the regular mind is a bit unwell, so your regular mind has this ease. You bring these methods, these methods of taming into your life then it helps to reduce the disease and one day to help you really experience ease in daily living and four spiritual awakening okay so what are asavas i am introducing many thesaurus like words here because actually, there isn't a very good English word to replace asavas. These are two languages. And asavas has a, a depth of meaning, which a single English word can point to it, but can't quite capture. So the result is, if you go away with just the English word, 
you may not get a full sense of how problematic these, these asavas are, okay? How insidious. So I introduce words, and if you can remember the different words, then you might be able to get a feel of what this means. Bante Bikubodi said this in an article. There is a stock phrase, a stock passage in the Sutta, which the Buddha will introduce, will use to explain asavas. Buddha used several words to explain asavas. So Bikubodi put out this stock phrase. Asavas are states that defile, bring renewal of existence, give trouble, ripen in suffering, and lead to future birth, aging, and death. The stock phrase, you can go look for it as an example in Majjhima Nikaya 36, Mahasachaka Sutta, okay? Towards the end of Mahasachaka Sutta. And what does this tell you? This asavas has several functions. Asavas defile, means it stain your mind. It stain the mind, it causes the mind to become unwholesome, polluted, okay? And the staining, this defilement, causes you to come again and again. You note, nah, this brings renewal of existence, Dot, 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 lead to future birth. They're separated by two other words. Which means to say, bringing renewal of existence is not about this life and past life and next life. Huh? It literally is this life. Remember earlier on we talked about narrative? How your mind keeps spinning stories? Every new episode in your hundreds of daily episodes is a renewed existence. Okay, so asavas takes you, pushed you, they are the condition for you to have renewed narratives again and again. Why do they give trouble? Because asavas, you have asavas, you invariably will feel pain. Therefore, ripen in suffering. It causes trouble in two ways. In one way, it shapes how your mind sees the world. Because how it, shapes, how it sees the world, you will react. So when, when you have a way of seeing the world, if your this way of seeing the world sits on asavas, your world is dark or not nice or unpleasant. Your world, you become defensive. Even before you start, you are already poised to fight because of the nature of the asavas. So imagine, right? Someone walk past and sneeze. There is a pretty good chance that you say, Tiu deliberate. There's a pretty good chance. Otherwise, why so soon? Walk past me, I will you. So soon. Huh? It means that your asavas is naturally defensive. If, you, if the asavas are not there, the fellow walk past, hatch you, then he walk past, and then you inside, nothing. Nothing happening. No trouble. Now, this is extreme case. In our age of COVID, this becomes like lethal for mass reaction. But it's because this is the age of COVID. Once upon a time, someone could be, hurt you, hurt you, hurt you, and you'll be blessed you, blessed you, blessed you. 
today someone hurt you, you don't like the face, cursed you. So instinctive, right? But it's the asavas that cause all this trouble. Then who suffer? You suffer. Because in your mind, the world's not nice, this person's not nice, everybody's not nice. And for some of you, for some of you, if you find that when people do you a good deed, and you, you immediately become suspicious. Why, huh? Why is this person so nice to me? When you are like this, actually what it means is your akusala, your asavas are very strong. Because if you don't have suspicion, if you don't have suspicion, you will not have this reaction. There, it, there isn't a part in you that say, why is he being nice to me? What is his objective? You won't have this problem. But because, because there is asavas within, because of the asavas within, you will have this negative, instinctively negative suspicion arising. Okay? This is all about asavas. Leading to future birth, aging, and death. This one, this one is about rebirth. You die, the form breaks up, there will be another arising, and then we start again. You start again, this time your 30 kilo of asavas follow you. Okay? Alternative translations to the word, I said that I'm going to introduce several words, some words that will give you an idea, better feel of asavas. So alternative translations, you have cankers, defilements, fermentations, corruptions, pollutants, and so on. Bhikkhu Bodhi translated it as taints. Taints. Okay? Ajahn Sujato translated it as defilements. Horner was one of the first, the earliest of the translators. Englishmen. Cankers. So cankers a bit cheap. Lah. Many of us don't know what's cankers. But defilements, you know. Ajahn Tanisaro calls it fermentation. You can see, they are not that far wrong. They are not that far off. Because if you look at that stock phrase in the sutta, it seems to imply all these, ma, pollute, uh, all, this, all these words, defilements, fermentations, corruption, etc., etc. So know that Asavas has the characteristics of doing the above and being the above. Huh? How many Asavas are there? Most, most Pali texts will talk about three types. So that's why there are more. MN2, MN9, DN33, Majjima Nikaya 2, which is this one. This one is Majjima Nikaya 2. Majjima Nikaya 9, I think it's Samaditi. And uh, Diga Nikaya 33 is Sangiti, recital in, in, in an assembly. Okay? And what it means is your three asavas, and I'm going to just mention this once, just remember it once. Eh? Kama asava, bawa asava, avidja asava. I, I was going to move the, the mouse and I don't think <laughs> you don't see it. Okay. Kama asavas, okay. 
Karma, karma here means sensual delight. This is this is sans, uh, this is Pali, not Sanskrit. Sanskrit would have been karma. No, uh, kar, karma sutta, eh? karma sutta, karma sutta. That that karma that <laughs> that is sensual, but that was sexual. But this this karma asava is sensual. Sensual is not about sex. Sensual really is about the connection with the external world. Whatever that you experience through your sense bases, what you see, what you hear, smell, taste, touch. This is karma with one M, not two. Okay? And karma asavas means you are human with form and, uh, and a capacity to interact with the external world. There is a part in you that gets very caught up by the experiences, the experiential ex interaction with the world out there. Then after you have interacted, after you have interacted happily, you store memory of the interactions. Those memories are therefore your bhava asavas amongst other things, okay? Bhava asavas actually means the mind, the mind becoming, becoming, being, that's the mind. And bhava asava... I understand there is a technical glitch, so I'm pausing for a while. Okay, so I start again? Some Pali text, yeah. The, the entire, so sorry, yeah. but you know, a measure of our practice is kanti, patience, okay? So as, if you're enjoying this, don't worry, there are 16 more to enjoy, 16 more slides. <laughs> oh, it's quite long. Huh? Okay, um, some Pali texts mention three asavas, okay? Kama asavas, bhava asavas, avidya asavas. Kama asavas are taints, taints or pollutants that happen, that are there when there is this engagement with the external world. So it will be the how you how you enjoy and how you react to sense impressions um, experienced through eye, from your eyes, ear, nose, mouth, and uh, form, the body, okay? Bhava asavas. So there are, when you have experienced the world out there, okay? When you experience the world out there, you will have memory. You will stop memory. Pleasant, and unpleasant, pleasant and painful. Those memories that are pleasant, you want to revisit. You will want to think about them, enjoy them again. Cannot taste the food, never mind. I can imagine, imagine my delight, imagine the taste of the food. All those constructions experienced through the mind, they are bawa, being, becoming bawa. So, taints associated, taints that stem from the mental recollection and mental experience. For 
all of us, the world out there and the world in there, they are as real. What you remember, you believe. In fact, what you remember, you believe, you conclude, even more real than the world out there. You think about it, okay? So being, becoming, Bhava Asava is very powerful. Can even be more powerful, depending on the individual. More powerful than Kama Asavas. But the mother of all Asavas, the power, the power one, that one is ignorance. Avidya Asavas. Ignorance is a view. Ignorance is actually a view. Your belief, your belief system. And how, how you lead your life, where you want to take it, are you going to be a practitioner, layperson, novena, whatever it is, all this sits on your view, your understanding, your conclusions, your perceptions. We call it ignorance because these views are very totally, fervently held staunchly held views and even when you know that these views are not healthy and not helpful you don't want to let them go that's why they're ignorance you see ignorant so what i mean we all know first second third no, fourth noble truths don't know me even the primary school kids would know everybody knows the four noble truths and the second First and second and third, the correlation is like this. When there is craving, there is dukkha. The stronger your craving, the more painful it is, the more dukkha you experience. So what's the logic? Calm the craving, tame the craving, and dukkha will cease, will go down. But how do we take this? Oh, yeah, never mind. Give this cow a bit of craving is okay. A little bit of craving is fine. That is our belief. That is ignorant, no? Because we don't want to let it go. We know that when we, when we um, really go into the practice, and if we're really sincere about the practice, we will really try and eradicate craving. Uproot it at its root. Go for the full scale. But, but there is a part in us that resists that. Resist that because we say we're not ready to be a monk, to be a sangha, to let go of everything. We're not ready, we're not ready. The part that we say we're not ready is very much avijja asavas. Okay? Avijja asavas. Put it something, I'll introduce something even simpler. We talk about wholesome, unwholesome, right? In my many talks these days, I kept emphasizing wholesome cultivation. And you, I'm sure you have heard until I'm so tired. Every time I see Sister Sylvia, the word wholesome will appear, right? But when you lose your temper, or when you get irritated, when you get agitated, there is a part in you that doesn't want to let go of the anger. It's like, if I let go of the anger, I just cannot do it. I, I refuse to forgive. I refuse to forget. I refuse to let go. What is that? 
Avicca. Buddha said, when there is akusala, slash, perch, dropped it, evict. But we don't want to do that. And then he said, when kusala is present, it's not there, you must bring it up. If it's present, you proliferate. Have we done it? Did we do it? If we didn't do it, one part, it's just one part of the Eightfold Path, right effort, not done. And we talk about deep samadhi, one part of the right effort. And if we talk about sila, it's only five portions of the, the right effort, not done. Uh, sorry, right, uh, um, the path, not done. But never mind, let's do jhana. It's very odd, isn't it? <laughs> so anyhow, avidya, you can see how tenacious our mind can be in holding on to ignorance. Huh? There, there is one other Pali uh, text, uh, there are some others. But the, this one, I, I, I'm bringing it up because it's a long sutta. Mahaparinibbana Sutta, very long. And in this sutta, specifically mentioned four avijja. The fourth one being specifically view. Okay, view. And this view is more um, holding on to, it's similar to avijja, but just take it as a little bit more in your face. Avijja is very insidious, behind, and it's deep down inside. This is a, actual view that you hold. For instance, you say, I, I, can't be, I don't believe in rebirth. I, 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 I find it very hard to understand that. So I don't believe that. That is a view. And then you hold on to the view to the end of life. And then, kena rebirth. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> it just happens. <laughs> so that's view. Huh? Complete destruction of Asavas is synonymous with awakening, meaning arahan. So, when I go through the asavas, now we're going into the asavas. Huh? When we go through the asavas, I want you to be familiar with all seven of them. Be familiar with seven of them. And then we see whether you can spot a very cute pattern in the seven asavas. We see if you can spot, okay? Cameraman and fellas here, I expect that you answer questions afterwards, huh? The cameraman and the crew here, okay? Sutta. Thus have I heard on one occasion the Blessed One was living at Savati in Jetavana, Jeta Grove, Anathapindikas Park. Anathapindikas Park. There, the Buddha addressed the monks thus, Bhikkhu, I shall teach you a discourse on the restraint of all the taints. Here, the word is restraint. Sometimes you see the word removal, so it's stronger. Okay? Sabba asava in itself is just all taints, all of the taints. Sabba all asava's taints. Listen and attend closely to what I shall say. This, this sentence here means the Buddha wants people to pay very close attention to all the words. 
and we are always encouraged that when you're listening to the Dhamma, don't eat, don't chat, don't get distracted, don't check your handphone, check your whatever, play game, nothing. Listening to the Dhamma, listen attentively and you can catch what is beautiful, okay? Because I say that the destruction of all the taints, of the taints is for one who knows and sees, not for one who does not know and see. Who knows and sees what? Wise attention and unwise attention when one attends unwisely and a reason taints, a reason, a reason taints increase when one attends wisely and a reason taints do not arise, a reason taints are abandoned. These two parts, attending wisely and then the taints, present or not, increase. These two parts are the foundation of the practice here, in all of them. These two you must remember. One who knows and sees means one who has knowledge. And as he practices, he will have insight. He will have an experiential knowing of the mind, the nature of the mind, and the, the practice. So when he used this word, who knows, one who knows and sees, it is a practitioner, a serious practitioner, who is, who is not a beginner. He, he is already on the path. So he was, Buddha was essentially talking to monks who already were serious on the path. And he was telling them, you guys doing correctly, your practice is good, you know and see. It's because as you experience it, this is not a one-time knowing and one-time seeing. It's as you practice, the knowledge increases, the seeing deepens. You see more, you understand more. And so, but Buddha cannot say, one who knows, gradually knows, and eventually knows a lot, and one who sees a bit now, then later on see a lot. One go, sees, knows, okay? Critical element of success in the practice is wise attention, okay? Now, I bring in the word Yoniso Manasikara, and I Yoniso Manasikara, because I think for some of you who go for meditation retreats, learn deep meditation type under different teachers, you probably would be told this word, Yoniso, A Yoniso. Yoniso wise, A Yoniso not wise. Now, Manasikara is attention. So basically what is happening is, you will steer, it is steering, lending your attention, placing your attention on the right thing, not on the wrong thing. Okay? The idea here is, if manasikara is a, nat is a natural state of mind, it's a part of life, 
if, if you remember Nama, Rupa, Nama, mind, mentality, Rupa, materiality, Nama, Rupa, Nama has five parts. Your Vedana, okay, I, I don't go into details, but of the five parts, one of them is Manasikara, which means to say, a, na a natural mind, it's the normal, it's everyday mind. Anybody's mind, okay? Anybody's mind has the capacity to steer and land. So if you look at your own mind, right? Right now, you're listening to me, and I say, you are listening to me, your, your attention goes to the ear. I want you to look at the words, your attention goes to the words. So this point transiting between the ear and the words, hearing and the words, that transition is steering. That is manasikara, okay? And you can be steering wisely or unwisely. So this is what the Buddha said. Pay the correct attention, steer wisely, lend the attention correctly, you're okay. You're practicing correctly. You lend the attention wrongly, go focus on the wrong thing, pay attention on the wrong thing, that will cause problems. That will increase the taints. So one part is attention, yeah? wise steering. Another part which I will introduce later is another word, reflecting. But that one will come in the next page. I just want you to remember this one, steering, and then the objective is to negate and uproot taints. There are habits, there are instincts which are pollutants, they're corrupting mental states deep in our mind, in the deep, in the recesses of the mind. You want to uproot them. They are not easy to uproot. <clears throat> That's why there are all these methods. Okay, now we go in. And the seven methods are seeing, restraining, using, enduring, avoiding, developing, uh, removing and developing. Okay, seven methods. The reason why there are these seven methods is because in tackling that particular problem, this method is the best. There is a reason for them, okay? You remember earlier on, I talked about the seven, the six regular habits of a mind and the seven one to fumigate. Fumigating is developing. <laughs> okay. Taints to be abandoned by seeing. Huh? There are many words. So you will see that sometimes I disregard some words. I, I leave it to you, for you to read but I may, may or may not go through the whole thing. Huh? What thing should be abandoned by seeing? And there's a few words here I pick up. An untaught, ordinary person. Point one. No regards for noble ones. Point two. Unskilled, undisciplined in the Dhamma. Point three. Four. No regard for true men, unskilled and disciplined. Four. Four points. What does this mean? Just this alone. This alone describes the regular person. A regular person, we are, if, you are, if you are someone who is unfamiliar with the Dhamma, 
completely unfamiliar, and most of you here probably are not untaught, meaning you have some knowledge. But if you have no knowledge, you are completely untaught. If you have some knowledge, you have some training, some teaching. But look at the rest. No regard for noble ones. Unskilled, undisciplined. There are two different things. Huh? So some of us have some knowledge of the Dhamma, some knowledge of the information because we go for classes, we attend talks carefully, judiciously, every Sunday, Saturday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, we attend talks. So you have some knowledge. And when you see a practitioner, you, ah, you're very happy, very joyous, you serve them. So you have two. But what about unskilled, undisciplined? In the Dhamma, in the discipline. So, you also have to incorporate the teaching, the understanding into your daily life. If you don't incorporate into your daily life, you are number three. You are still into this category. You see that? Unskilled means you don't know how to do it. Undisciplined, you're not even doing it properly. Unskilled means you don't know how to do it properly. Undisciplined means you're not consistent in your application. So many of us may actually fall into this category, okay? Even the ones who attend retreats and very, very uh, good, very attentive in serving the Sangha and always listening to them. But, but, when it comes to daily life, lacking in application or very inconsistent, okay? The fourth one, no regard for true men there is a slight difference here. True men means good people. Noble ones are really your practitioners. The, here, when we talk about noble, it means someone who has either already into the stream, they are uh, one of the four areas, or the practice is really solid. We don't know any better whether or not they are areas. But if their practice is very solid, very good, they are very inspiring. So that's why they are called noble ones. The, the true is actually just a translation, it's saparisa, it's a good man. One who is maybe true to the practice, or maybe he's a good person, very upright, very normal, very moral, <laughs> not normal, moral, no regard for very good people, and also unskilled and so on. Huh? These people, this, this feature, these features say that the person does not understand what things are fit for attention and what things are unfit for attention. Meaning, you put your attention on the wrong thing and when you do that, it will cause you to have karma asava, bawa asava, avijja asava go if they are not there, they will appear. If they are there, they will increase. And then it's the other way around. Fit for attention means when you pay attention correctly, karma, bhava, and avidya asavas will all diminish. Okay? Now, so what are the things which are unfit for attention? By attending to things unfit for attention, oh wow, <laughs> all my words are here. <laughs> Never mind. 
you read on your own. I will move on to the next one. Huh? It's more exciting to go on. Oh, sorry, you want to look at the other one again? When I explained it earlier, it was all explained already. Untaught, ordinary mind, disinterested in spiritual practice, doesn't know better. Remember, I already explained earlier, I, I forgot that I have a slide that captures everything, you see. So I was busy explaining and, forgot, and I forgot I had this wonderful slide here. So on your own time, on your own time, on target, you read this. Huh? More importantly is to keep going. Did I miss out any slide? Okay. This is how he attends unwisely. This portion, I will spend quite a bit of time explaining because this part is called narratives. Remember earlier on, I said, one of the regular habits, one of the habits of a regular mind is narratives. The constructions, the story spinning that we do so instinctively, so spontaneously, all the time, the whole day. Even when you go on retreat, even when you're listening to the ma, we might still be spinning all these, okay? So he said, this is how he attends unwisely. Was I in the past? Was I not in the past? What was I in the past? How was I in the past? Having been what? What did I become in the past? Should I be in the future? Should I not be in the future? What should I be in the future? Etc. 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 And then one more, inwardly perplexed about present. So either he's spending all his time ruminating, ruminating in the past, reminiscing, recollecting, he he ho ho in the past, or or when young. Actually, you'll know when you are younger, you tend to spend more time in the future. When you are older, you tend to spend more time in the past. And, and this is not just, it's not physical age alone that helps, but it also is in your mind. If you're very young at heart, you'll still be looking in the future. And if you're very old at heart, you are already at 16. Uh, yesterday I was like that, last year I was like that, and so on and so forth, okay? So, the third one, which is really cute, is present. Even when we are in the present. You see, people say that, oh, be in the present, you're fine. But the Buddha said, when you're in the present, this is happening. You are still spinning story. Am I? Am I not? What am I? How am I? Where has this been come from? Where will it go? So what does it mean? Am I? Am I not? Do you think I said the wrong thing to him? Do you think he will be upset with me? Hey, what, what are they saying about me now? Hey, should I be doing this? Uh, will people think badly of me? Huh? Isn't that all you're spinning? And my children, after don't they, they're not happy how? Huh? Uh, this is all spinning, right? This is spinning. Storytelling. So a typical habit of a regular mind, caught up, seized, spinning narratives and stories, and they all will revolve around I and me. And the mind enjoys these recitals. Why do I say that? Look, when you're telling stories about what happened to you, 
yesterday, siang tang nian, and then oh, you get into this, this violin and everything all come out. But you like, you enjoy it. You enjoy it. Now, if you are a good storyteller, everyone around you will, they won't mind you spinning story. But if you're a really bad storyteller, if you're a really bad storyteller, you will have someone going, not again. It's all over again, and so on and so forth. Because, because why are they doing that? Why are they so, so uncomfortable? Why are they, why are they don't like you spinning story? Uh, because they want to spin story. They want to tell you about themselves. So they don't want you to be spinning story about you. They much prefer to have themselves tell you stories about themselves. And because that is so, because it's like that, then you will have your, in effect, is your mind enjoying storytelling, enjoying all these things. I call it pleasure and fulfillment, okay? Having pleasure and having fulfillment in story spinning. Eh? Why is this unwise? Because as you construct, as you spin, constantly, consistently, you will increase one, the sense of the I, Bauer, the I, the me. Every time you spin, you remember the me. Every time you spin, there is a delighting in that delight. Okay, every time you spin, you delight. And every time you delight, Avidya gets harder and harder to be let go of. Okay, and that's the reason why all your regular daily spinning keeps you trapped in samsara. Buddha, now this, this is the part where I say Buddha is really brilliant. You look at the words, see if you understand it. When he attends unwisely, in this way, one of six views arises in him as true and established. One of six views, which means to say, which means to say, for all of us, any of us, for any of us, this habit to talk about yourself embedded there, embedded there, is definitely one of these six, okay? Embedded there, the utter, the utter, the self, embedded there is definitely one of these six. There is no seven, okay? And what are they? Buddha said, utter exists for me. Translated, Bhikkhu Bodhi, they translated it as self. Atta exists for me. I call it eternalism. Eternalism means the belief that this self is permanent and it lives forever. In many of us, in many of us, isn't there this sense that the self doesn't die. The being doesn't die. 
being lives on. So when you have that sense that being lives on, it's a view, it's a belief. And that belief, you're not new. You're not the first one to have this view. Centuries of people hold onto this view. So this is eternalism. Then a small group, he says, no self exists for me. No self exists for me. But, and, and, and the Buddha used the word anatta, okay? But this is not the anatta that we are supposed to cultivate and understand. This one is the belief that when you die, all is over. My, for those of you who have been listening to my talk, you know I call this worm food, meaning you die and then the worms feed on you. That's it. There is no self. Your self died. You live, the self lives. You die, the self dies. This is usually a, small, a smaller number of people. There are people who believe like this, but the number is very small. These are the sort of people, that, um, in Buddha's time, they are called materialists, meaning it's the form that is the self. When the form dies, the self dies. Okay? The third one says, third, fourth, and fifth. We are all guilty of three, four, and five. Okay? Three says, I perceive self with self. Four says, I perceive not self with self. Five says, I perceive self with not self. And then you go, what is this? What is this? Now, I want you to, if you can, if you can understand the explanation by the side, that's good. If you cannot understand the explanation, you, you go with me, okay? Here you are listening to a talk. So there is a listening going on, right? There is listening and there is observing yourself listening. So listening, the talk, listening, these are objects. Eh? And in these objects, it's the activity. Then there is the observer. The, the, you are observing, there is observing. When there is observing, the mind is capable of saying, when there is observing, there is an observer. So that's why it says the observer observing the event. Observing, observer, see, seeing. Okay? Your mind says it. So when it says here, I perceive self with self, it means you, you perceive that there is an observer and the observer is yourself. You perceive that there are things going on and the things going on is also part of the self. That's what it means. Okay? You are the, 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 there is someone, there is a being watching. That being is the observer. Then there are all these activities. You're engaged in the activities. The activities, it's also self. So therefore, number three says, I perceive self with self. I there is a perception of the activity as well as the observer, both are self. Okay? The fourth one says, identify self with the observer. I perceive not self with self. So, number four, perceive the, the, the observer 
as the self. And the last one says, the experience is the self. In the experience, that's the self. Okay? If you don't understand any one of them, but you understand another, it means your mind leans towards that. If you understand, whatever that you understand, your mind identifies with that. Whatever you don't understand, that is not your view. Your mind doesn't identify with that. So you, you can't quite understand what it says. But you ask someone else, the fellow may say, oh, I know what this one says. I don't know what yours say. You understand? So you will say, hey, I don't. But you see, the Buddha understands them all. He knows them all. He can identify them for you. And the sixth one, I said, full-blown eternalism. So the self has a home. It, it, it has details. The permanent self has details. Okay? So I said, three to five, the, the, the mind, the untaught ordinary mind in seek of a true nature cannot help but identify the self with something. In other words, in other words, there is a part in us that us that us what am i who am i deep down inside what am i who am i is there a real i so because your mind talks like that it's actually very strong attachment there is the attachment is very strong and because of that attachment there has to be you have to have an i there has to be a self. Because if there is no self, when you die, then what is it? The mind goes like that, you see. The attachment has to have an outlet. And the outlet of the attachment is the self, the idea of a self. I said this is at the level of sanya, which, which means it's very instinctive. It's the lens through which you see the world. So, uh, I repeat, uh, let me connect the two slides. Because your mind keeps talking about, I'm in the past, I'm the future, I'm the present. Even when I'm present, you worry about what people think of you, what people say about you. Am I like that? How do I look? All this I, 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 I thing, right? Because of that, you keep reinforcing one of these six, whichever is your problem. And when you keep reinforcing one of these six, Kama Asava, Bawa Asava, Avijja Azava cannot. They, they will keep proliferating. Okay? So, uh, this is Buddha's words. All in black, I forgot to give you the legion. All in black, Buddha's words taken from the Sutta. All in brown, my words. And red, the ones you don't know, Pali words. Okay? The black says, this speculative view is called the ticket of views, wilderness, contortion. I, I just sum it up. You can have time, you can read it. Huh? We have to keep going. There are six, other, uh, six others. So, Buddha said, a well-taught, noble disciple who has regard for noble ones, its skill and discipline in the Dhamma understands what things are fit for attention and what things are unfit for attention. He will attend wisely. This is the part that we must have. We must, when we have a takeaway, 
this is a part you must take, you must do your takeaway, okay? In all your aggregates, you see, he says skill and discipline in the Dhamma. What it means is, you know what is this methodology, you know what's the training method, and you apply carefully, consistently. Okay? And in this Dhamma, what is in the Dhamma? The Dhamma has the five aggregates, six sense bases, four noble truth, eightfold path, your tilakana, right? This is in the Dhamma. So now I explain. Huh? You must remember what is in the Dhamma. He attends wisely. This is suffering. This is the origin of suffering, the cessation, cessation of suffering, the way leading to the cessation of suffering. What it means is, in all your experiences of the aggregates, when you see feeling, contact, sensation, feeling, you will, instead of saying, I feel so, you will say, this is origin. This. Origin means the feeling there, you see whether there is craving. No craving, no pain, cessation of dukkha. Got craving, there is pain, dukkha is present. One, two, three. What are you supposed to do? Get rid of the akusala. Number four, eightfold path is really about eradicating akusala. If you eradicate akusala, there is no dukkha. But you are eradicating akusala with understanding. You understand the noble truths, you will eradicate the akusala. This is training. So that's why it says here, whatever contact, contact, there's a feeling. Feeling, there is a perception. Perception, there might be construction. All these things is your experience, vinyana. All these, your daily life, this in essence is your life. The aggregates which you are aware of, they are essentially your life. And in everything that you experience, whether it is vedana, meaning feeling, or sanya, meaning recognizing, or an experience, which is really a combination of them, vinyana. Whatever that you experience, you say, no dukkha, no craving. There is dukkha, there is craving, number one. And you, you will then see, you become aware of when they arise. And then they hang around, and then they cease. Instead of calling feeling I, feeling mine, you are saying feeling arises, feeling fades. Feeling is conditionally a reason, and there is good feeling because there is no dukkha, there is wholesome mental energy, so good feeling. Bad feeling means there is dukkha. Dukkha means there is craving. Craving means there is akusala. There is akusala. It is just like that. So you learn to drop, learn to let go. Okay? I, I know that I've written many words there. I think I've explained them all. Okay? I've explained them all in, in this flow. Just one point I have not explained, which is the last one. Do this often enough, it will gain stream entry. Hmm? This is called the taints, abandoned by seeing. Why seeing? 
you have to see for yourself the nature of your mind, how the mind works, how it talks, how in its talking, its conversation, you keep increasing all the asavas. Instead, if you are sharp enough, your mindful, look at the word, reflect. Oh, I didn't highlight the word reflect. I think earlier on it said, reflect. Reflect means as you perceive, as you see, as you sense, you must recognize, and then you must straight away think about the noble truths. Noble truth in this way, I have a sensation, it is unpleasant. If it's unpleasant, it is unpleasant. Dukkha means it's dukkha. Dukkha means there's craving, first and second noble truth. When there is dukkha, there is craving. When there is craving, there is a kusala. That is why Buddha kept emphasizing kusala, kusala. When it is kusala, there is no craving. No craving, no dukkha, cessation of dukkha. The noble truth. Nothing to be tearing your hair out over. This is really the dhamma, pure. You do this often enough, then what will happen is the mind starts to realize that there is no I. I, the I, is construction, it's narratives. The more you construct, the stronger the I is perceived. The more you can let that go, the more the I, the idea of that self will start to dissipate, will start to dissipate, okay? And it is the Buddha himself who said that you do this well, you will enter the stream. Because you look at the words he said, when he attends wisely. In this way, three fetters are abandoned in him. Personality view, which is self-view, doubt, and adherence to rules and observances. Right? Three fetters are abandoned. These are called the taints that should be abandoned by seeing. Therefore, this method, this method one, done correctly, consistently, skillfully, will help the individual enter the stream because it will crack, crack the mind's habit of keep seeing a self. So I, I, I would strongly I would strongly urge you to revisit this and go through the teachings again. His, the, the, the way he said it. You don't have to look at my notes if you don't like, but you must look at his words very carefully. Okay? The second one. This one deals with the drifting mind. Remember earlier on we talked about the narrative mind and this is a mind that kind of drifts. For a mind that drifts, the Buddha said, what taints should be abandoned by restraining? Ah, yes, reflecting wisely abides with the eye faculty restraint. When your eye faculty are restrained, uh, the taints, vexation, fever that may arise in one who abides with the eye faculty unrestrained, there are no taints, vexation and fever in one who abides with the eye faculty restrained. Okay, 
So again, this is about, I, I said this is a drifting mic. Why? The faculty itself, whether it's the eye, nose, ear, mouth, it doesn't matter. The faculty in itself is not the thing. The thing is when you have the faculty and the object, it comes together, pleasure or pain arises. You, you have feeling. You have the contact, you have a feeling. With the feeling comes clinging and dukkha. So, to tackle a mind that drifts, because when mind drifts, where does your mind drift? Your mind drifts towards pleasure and shuns away from pain. That's how your mind drifts. So, you don't want the mind to constantly go all over the place seeking pleasure, running away from pain. So, you want your mind to be present, stay present. When you stay present, it means paying attention to contact. Literally paying attention to contact. Wise attention means allowing your mind to stay at your faculties, the, the sense door. Restraint means me putting my attention there so that I don't get caught by external attractions. Okay? But it's not just external. It's also internal. Your mind has a capacity to go and revisit things that it likes. And, or things that it doesn't like, it's very scared. Huh? So, what you want is the very sharp mindfulness to become aware of present. When the mind is present, then you hear a sound. It hears sound, it goes back to present. It hears the sound, it goes back to present. It doesn't get caught up in the feelings that will come from hearing the sound. Okay? Then you say, hey, no feeling, God. The feeling is neither painful nor pleasure. It's, it's this equanimity, this neutral equanimity. So reflecting wisely means you must have Clear understanding, sampajana. You, you hear something, you know, you hold the line, you don't drift. And if you were to reflect, you will reflect on impermanence. Reflect on if I get caught up, there is dukkha. If I don't get caught up, no dukkha. So you learn to temper, learn to pipe down the strong mental reactions. You basically, in the early part of the practice, you may find that your reactions are very strong and can be very extreme. But as you constantly practice restraint, at some point, you will find that your feelings and reactions are all moderated, more peaceful, calmer, okay? It's gentler. You understand this? You don't catch the attention properly, you will go into delight and enjoy. You catch it properly, it stays there. It doesn't mean that you do not have pleasure. You will still have. Because you have a tongue. And your tongue can differentiate nice day, bad days. It can still differentiate. So when it is a taste that is agreeable, you will experience pleasure. What you do not get into is 
pleasure to the extreme and therefore so memorable. And because it's so memorable, you will have first the taste that you enjoy, then the memory that you revisit. And then from one attachment, you have multiple copies of attachments. Every time you remember, you <laughs> sweet. Every time you remember, you lovely. You keep doing that. If you keep doing that, kama asava, bawa asava, avija asava are your long-standing companions. Okay? Next. Tends to be abandoned by using. Remember earlier on, I talked about essential. Essential. Look, I won't read this. Huh? I won't read through this. I will sum it up for you. You look at the first one. They are in different colors so that you can see it better. The first one says ropes. Huh? Reflecting wisely using user's rope for protection from cold, heat, contact with this, that, and other. So, if you are a practitioner, you will remember that the clothes are really for protection against the elements, for concealing, for um, keeping warm. It is not for beautifying self. It is not for making fashion statement so that the I looks better, feels good about himself. Huh? The second one is food, the same thing. Food, using food neither for amusement nor intoxication nor for the sake of physical beauty but for endurance and continuance of this body for ending discomfort for assisting the holy life. So be very practical in the way you use life's unavoidable essentials. You cannot not have these things. But these things, because they are essential, unfortunately, they can also support you in feeling pride, in delighting. So gratification and delighting. Pride, why pride? My house is bigger than your house. My house is nicer than your house. My house costs don't know how many million, how many million, how many million. In Singapore, you say many million, many million, people are not very impressed. But imagine if you transport this million to some other places where housing is not so expensive. Oh, they are very impressed. You buy the castle on the hill. Huh? So, all these were originally essentials, but because of our asavas, because of asavas, they now become source, source for the things. Okay? So, in this practice here, by using actually what it means is steer your attention to reflect on their practical nature instead of being fixated about pleasure and delight when you're consuming them. You look at your own mind. Eh? When you see food, it's not automatic for you to say the food is to feed this body, keep this body alive. It is not for enjoyment, for this, this, this. You don't do that. Your instinct is, I like this one. Because you are already imagining, revisiting the delight. And it's the same. For all these essentials, it is the same. 
And therefore, the practice requires that you change the habit at the level of sanya, recognition. So if you keep saying this like that, if you keep saying food is only for maintenance of the form, to keep it alive so that it can continue with the practice, it is not for gratification, it is not for enjoyment, da, 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 da. you keep saying that, at some point, your mind gets the message. You have repeated it enough. It knows what you are saying. Next time they see food, it's The next time you see food, this is your instinct. I eat, I'm full, I'm done. As opposed to, I want a lot more. I want to taste this. You didn't do it this way, that way. You, you know, you only need to eat a little bit of pepper. It will be perfect. You won't have this problem anymore. Okay? You don't have to go around carrying your own pepper or salt. Tains to be abandoned by enduring. And what does this mean? Again, I will not read through this. It basically means there are experiences which are very unpleasant. Painful on the body, unpleasant on the mind. And because of that, it's unavoidable. It's just like that. Because of that, it's very instinctive for your agitation to come up. And when your agitation arises, your karma, for sure, when there is agitation, akusala, right? The sense of the self will go up. Every time you look at your own mind, you look at your own experience, every time you experience unpleasantness, painful feeling, there is this sense of, I don't like this. I don't like this. I want to get rid of this. It is within my power to do something to get rid of this. So the mind has this fixation about wanting to get rid. But in the wanting to get rid, the eye will swell. That is why when people are sick and they are feeling pain and they are in terrible discomfort, they become very unreasonable. They, they demand. They have that sense of entitlement. And you say, why is this person the self so big? It's a lot of pain. The pain will create the sense of the self, the I. Okay? So, you are a practitioner. You must become aware of unpleasant as unpleasant, painful as painful. See the rising, see the fading. See it come up, see it goes away. Okay? But see that there is no arising of a desire to push. You don't have that sense of wanting to push, to avert, to go. They are different. Mm, that's the correct word. There are different stages of a mental experience. Unpleasant comes first, then a rising desire to avert comes next. They don't come up together. It's just very, it may be a nanosecond split, but it is sequential. So if your training is sharp, if your mindfulness is sharp, you could actually see one, unpleasant sensation, two, nothing, no pushing, enduring. 
patiently enduring. So that's why you see the Buddha talks about two things. Eh? He, he look at the words, he talks about the body, because the cold, the heat, the hunger, the thirst, the contact with all the mosquitoes and everything, that's the body. And then ill-spoken words, unwelcome words. What are they? They are two parts. Kama asava, bawa asava. They're two parts. We, we can sometimes say, oh, I can endure pain. I sit for hours. My leg died. It's okay. I don't, I don't get affected. It died. I even feel that it dropped off. I'm okay. But you can't talk about me. You can't say that, wow, your meditation is so hopeless. I get very affected. You see what I'm saying? So, words and form, words that affect the mind and the experience of the form, both as a practitioner, you have to observe rising and falling in permanence, and that's it. Don't react. No need to react, okay? <laughs> you know, next time maybe I shouldn't do this. Just leave all the words there. Steer attention to mental states of patience. Patience. Wisely recall, reflect on impermanence, conditional arising. And the correlation between dukkha and tangha. What does it mean? Tangha is craving, huh? greed. You see, earlier on, I said there is a part in your mind that wants to push it away. That one thing to push away is tangha. You see your mind. If your mind says, I'm okay with the pain, I can live with this, straight away the sensation of dukkha will drop. That is the correlation you're looking out for. To see for yourself first, second, third noble truths. Okay. Ah, not a one-off exercise. All of these practices, all of these practices are really about reshaping, rewiring the mind. Whether it is changing the narratives to instead of looking at I, I, mind, mind, the past, the present, the current, it doesn't matter. We look at four noble truths. Remember? Four noble truths. The second one says, pay attention to the contact, stay with the contact, rising, falling, that's it. You're looking at, you're, you're boning up on your understanding of the aggregates, the impermanent, the dhamma. This one talks about enduring and basically cultivating patience. Every time you accept, you initially you tolerate, initially you tolerate, Subsequently, you just live with it. So when your verb changes, when that verb changes, you know your mind is changing. Say, I'm only tolerating this pain, you know. It means you are really tolerating. You're lun. Eh? You're holding the line. When you say, oh, it's okay. I can live with this. You've changed the words. The pain is the same. The physical form pain is the same. But your attitude has changed. The baseline has changed. So if you keep doing this, at some point, your, your capacity to handle unpleasantness will increase, will increase significantly. Eh? Tains to be abandoned by avoiding. Um, I, say, I said here that they are perceived to be harmless activities that you probably enjoy, innocent pleasures, but ultimately, they are a source of backsliding. Okay? You look at what it said. 
He avoids something. He avoided like he is avoiding the wild elephant, the wild... Meaning you see danger. You see the slightest danger in enjoyment. Avoid sitting on unsuitable chair, wandering to unsuitable resorts, associating with bad friends. Buddha, these are monks. They are monks, monastic. So monastic means, unsuitable chairs means comfortable chairs. Unsuitable resorts means resorts where they can enjoy. Enjoy. Maybe it's a loud place. You like company. You go to noisy places. Maybe a place where it's very beautiful. It titillates your sense pleasures. The monk should go to the forest. It, this is Buddha's time. Okay, Singapore a bit difficult, but the idea here is he must find a secluded, secluded place. And associated with bad friends. Buddha calls them bad friends. But if you enjoy indulging in gratification of sense pleasure, they are not bad friends. You, you might actually find them very fun companion. That's why I said this particular set is dealing with what appears to be innocent pleasures. Huh? And they are innocent pleasure. You think that no, it's okay ma. Enjoy a bit, it's okay ma. Take a break, take a break. Take a break means avijja. Okay. Here, reflecting wisely is you see the slightest, the slightest leaning towards pleasure as dangerous for their practice. See, for a monk, the practice, the practice is everything. The practice takes them to the end. If they were to do a detour, you know, detour, you can detour very far before you come back. That's assuming you come back within this lifetime. So for the monk, they are gunning for Nibbana. They are, the advice given to them is don't detour. Don't make that detour. Don't meander off the, the Dhamma path because you may not be able to find your way back. So they are supposed to take the practice so seriously that if they find their mind leaning towards gratification, delighting and gratification, they must pull it back avoid. Don't even put yourself in the situation where you have a chance to enjoy because then you will slide. Okay? I introduced the word hiri otapa here because hiri is moral shame. Otapa it's traditionally translated as moral fear, but there's a lovely translation done by Andrew Olansky, and he calls it respective other, uh, respecting others' concern. It's milder, it's gentler. It's a gentler understanding of the word. But we stay with the original. Moral shame, which is conscience, and moral fear, which is afraid of an, uh, an external restraint. Moral fear is always an external restraint. Whether it's fear of the law, if you are a good Buddhist, you're afraid of karma, you're afraid of staining your mind, you're afraid of harming your practice. All this is outside. Now, why is this cultivation of Hiri Otapa important? You see, for the monk, this is monastic. Eh? For monastic, really, they, the practice is your own, 
it's your own time target. No one is sitting down there with a cane and said, you better do this and you better do it like this. You cannot stray here. No one is doing that. You have to self-regulate, self-govern. Actually, monastic or, 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 or practitioner, lay practitioner, same. Self-regulation. So in your self-regulation, if your hiri is strong, if your conscience is strong, you will not transgress, not because of the words, but because your conscience doesn't allow you to. Okay? If your otapa is strong, then you're very afraid of doing the thing that will cause people to have a poor view of you. Not people, by the way. It's usually said, the way the Buddha said is, cause wise people to have a poor opinion of you. Because your bad friends all think it's great for you to just enjoy yourself and indulge mindlessly. It's the wise people who will understand why certain types of indulgence are damaging for your practice, for your mental health, for your physical health. It's the wise people who will have that balance, that restraint. Okay? Can I move on? I should move on. Number seven, uh, number six. You remember earlier on, I talked about Akusala. How the, you know, on a regular day, on, on an average day, if you look at your own mind, uh, this is an average day in your daily life, uh, you're not at a retreat or anything. It's, a reg it's an average day in, a, in your daily life. Just an average day, you will find that you don't have, you don't necessarily have a lot of Kusala. You may have many moments of neutral, neither kusala nor akusala, not, not really very strong, or maybe very mildly akusala. I have a preference, I want this. It's very gentle, very mild, so I get only mildly annoyed, mildly miffed, but that's, there's nothing more than that. Huh? So you're not very aware of today being an akusala day. But the chances are you are also aware the mind is not very kusala, meaning it's not always in compassion and kindness and giving and you name it, huh? all these wonderful skills, all these wonderful mental states. It's not. So I said that number six is a catch-all for akusala mental states because here the Buddha said you will not tolerate an a reason thought of sensual desire. Thought, thought, this is not Shankara. There is a difference, I'll explain afterwards. Kama vitakang, ill will, biapadda vitakang, cruelty, vihimsa vitakang, evil, unwholesome thoughts. Papake, akusale, dame. They are, not, uh, they are uh, objects, objects. So there's a me, me, me. He abandons it. He removes it. He annihilates. The big words. Okay. Kama vitakang. Thought of sensual desire. This actually is I want this and I want that. It's an external world. And vitakang means it's as a start point. Start point. You start thinking, but you are still aware of that thought. When you are aware of the thought, it is vitaka. When you are not aware of the thought, it is shankara. You have ran off already. Your, your thought has taken on a life of its own. And that's the anatta, self in the anatta. 
the thought has taken on a, a life of its own and in the thought that is running, there is a sense of the self in it. You remember earlier on the view? This is what it means. Oh yeah? A runaway thought that takes on a life of its own and your sense of the self is embedded there. Agree? We all have this problem, right? When you are unaware. So, Buddha brilliant, right? So brilliant he was. Now, this one, Kamavitakan, means at the start point, you are aware that there is an arising of, I want to eat. I want to go and enjoy. And the Buddha said, do not tolerate its presence. Get rid of it. So even the I want to, ah, don't think about it. Don't think about it. Don't go into it. But the other two, they are very powerful. What it means is, a regular mind actually has that problem. Very instinctively, it wants to go and push people. It wants to go, it's not happy. Very instinctively, it's not happy. When you're very instinctively unhappy, there is ill will. We are partner. This is instinctive. And when there is ill will, when there's real partner, then you can become cruel. You don't start base zero cruel. It doesn't, it's not so fast. It will go through this, I don't like it, I don't like it. I must get back at the person. That's where the cruelty will start. All kinds of unwholesome thoughts. The moment you see them as unwholesome, you drop it. This is what he means. He meant. And I said, Akusala is extraordinarily sticky because the moment you feel it, you're caught. You are in Mara's trap. And you refuse. It's you yourself refusing to let go. You won't drop it. You just want to hang on to it for dear life. We know we don't like anger. But when you are angry, you see how difficult it is to stop being angry? It's like, I cannot, I cannot drop this. Then your mind will start talking. I think he's going to take me for granted. He's going to do this again and again to me. I, 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 will, I, will, not put, I will not tolerate this. The I, the I, earlier on, you think about the past, you think about the future, and you think about the present, this is where the I is. It's caught up in the Akusala. So, do not let Vitaka become Shankara and proliferate. Okay? Do not tolerate means as soon, as soon as you realize that it is there, you must drop it. You do not entertain it. This one is very important because if you do not drop it at Vitaka, finish. You, you, have put, you have put your foot into the quicksand. You're not going to be drawn in. Vitaka is when you, hey, this is quicksand. Don't go in. Okay? Reflecting wisely here means being fully cognizant of danger and take immediate, decisive action to cut, throw out and wipe your hard drive, your soft software, hard disk, wipe your hard disk clean. Why do I say wipe your hard disk clean? Annihilate is essentially just wipe it clean. It's because 
if you say, I don't think about it now, doesn't mean later you won't think about it. Huh? You have to say, I don't want to think about it ever. And then it drops. And then you must believe it. And you must do it. Consistent practice. Okay? The last one, the seven, tends to be abandoned by developing. This is the fumigation. Say, tackling tains at baseline. When the mind has the mindfulness enlightenment factor, this is not just your simple juvenile mindfulness. I am present. Therefore, this is the mindfulness factor of enlightenment. No, no, it is not this level. This is a clarity of the mind. You are present. The mind is kusala, wholesome. The mind doesn't drift. It is light. It's gentle. It is in the dhamma. That is why the moment the mind is present and aware, it automatically slides into the next one investigation of states. It slides into the Dhamma investigation of states. Meaning to say, you start to examine your aggregates as impermanent, dukkha, non-self. You start to go along that line. It always along that line. So he said, supported by seclusion, dispassion, cessation. Meaning, there is a part in you that holds itself away from akusala. Seclusion. Holds itself away from the akusala, stays in the kusala, be mindful here, doesn't get caught up in the external environment. It's not in deep meditation. It's actually daily life. It's aware. Stays aware. Stays disconnected from distractions. And from this state, he, he drifts into reflection of the mental states in a context of the Dhamma. And as he reflects, he feels very energized, he feels very happy. A sense of joy arises, the pity. He feels very, very quiet, very peaceful, it's tranquil, and the mind starts to stable. Concentration samadhi gets very stable. In this state, this guy can be in mindfulness, can be having this state of right mindfulness for a long while. It's very mindful. Wholesomeness and mindfulness, he will just go, drift, always in the dhamma. And that sense of being attached to anything. Upeka means he doesn't go towards, he, he's, he is not yearning for pleasure, he's not yearning to be enjoying. He is not yearning to be away from pain. He accepts both. His mind is even, evenly balanced. As it is, so it is. He will just take it as is. Okay. So you cultivate these mental states. You are really fumigating your taints at your baseline. Fully cultivated the seven factors of enlightenment. It is for full awakening and realization of Nibbana. Okay? Now, because Buddha said this, when a bhikkhu, when for a bhikkhu, the things that should be abandoned by seeing 
had been abandoned by seeing, the things that should have been abandoned by restraining, had been abandoned by restraining, and so on, uh, using, enduring, and so on, and so on. Then, he is called a bhikkhu who dwells, restrained with the restraint of all the taints. And this part is the most beautiful. He has severed craving, flung off the fetters, and with the complete penetration of conceit, he has made an end of suffering. Because love it, satisfied and delighted. Okay. Only when the asavas, only with the eradication of the asavas, is your tangha severed. So we are really talking about uprooting, very subtle, very deep rooted habits in the mind, very subtle, very deep-rooted. Flung off fetters, that which binds us to rebirth. So your ten fetters, eh? complete penetration of mana. Let me explain this a little. We see the word conceit and we think about ego, right? Ego, which is why this word has a problem in terms of translation. The word conceit is not wrong. It's not wrongly translated. It's correct. It's, it's, it's appropriate. But the problem is the word conceit comes with a baggage in the English language. We see the word and we immediately think of something unwholesome. But these are arahans, you know. This is the final stage. Arahans have no, not, nothing unwholesome. So where found the conceit? There is no conceit. Okay, so this mana, I put in the word here because I want you to recognize the Pali word. This word actually means a differentiation. You look at your mind and your mind cannot help but see the world like this. There is this and there is that. There is me and there is you. There is my, my friends, my loved ones. And there are people I don't know. There's them. So the mind automatically differentiates the world into two categories. This is the duality that we talk about, talk about here, the duality. And in the duality, you will see differences. Hence, differentiation. If there is no duality, there is no differences. There's, there is no difference. But because there is a sense of duality, there will be a sense of comparison. There will be a sense of differences. I'm tall, you are short, I'm fat, you are thin, da, 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 that kind of thing. There will be the differentiation. Now, these are the, the differentiation that are relatively harmless. It's just factual. But what about the differentiation, I'm smarter, you are not, or I, I am kinder, you are not? That is still differentiation. Or he's a good man, they are not. Even in that way, this is differentiation. At the point of the Arahan, all they see are aggregates. When you see only aggregates, I can imagine it's very hard to, to feel differentiation. They don't feel it even. It's right down 
to the baseline, there is no more distinction. Okay? Oh, sorry. Remember my, my thing says final words, final thoughts? Seriously, what's more beautiful than the Buddha's concluding remarks? But for the sake of us lay people and practitioners on the path and early followers, you name it, we are it, I would say something. Okay, just a little reminder. The crux of the practice in daily life is to be clear on what to pay attention to and what to ignore, to disregard. So know where to put your attention. Putting attention wrongly will lead to taints arising and increasing. Putting attentions correctly will lead to taints. Not there, won't come up. If it's there because you were not mindful, it's there, it will start to diminish. Okay? Ignore habits to focus on gratification, give vent to agitation, augment sense of self. This one here, it's the regular mind's habit. The regular mind's habit automatically is interested in gratification, in delight. It's a regular habit. You don't believe after this, you go for lunch, you walk into the hawker center, you look and go, let's find my favorite food. The mind automatically seeks delight. Okay? And give vent to agitation. The other habit is when it doesn't feel good, there's a compulsion to push, to hit out. And when you do that, you are actually augmenting sense of self. That sense of self becomes very strong. Instead, focus on contemplating on the Dhamma. On the Dhamma. Wisdom. Pania. On, content, on contentment. On kusala. So, let me put it this way. In your daily life, as soon as your mind is back in mindfulness, when it's somewhat mindful, straight away your mind says, I'm very grateful for the Dhamma. I'm very happy where I am. I'm very content. Just ask for nothing. This is a great life. You feel the joy, you feel the metta, you share the metta. Share the metta. Okay? This must become second nature to your mind. Second nature. Because if you can do this well enough, your life, Daily life is really living with ease. And the final one, final point, wise attention, wise reflection will ensure. Money back guarantee will ensure removal of taints and will help us to complete our journey. Realize Nibbana, okay? Now, at the start of the talk, I ask, can you see a very cute pattern here? The seven, the seven methods. Did you spot a, a, a certain pattern here? Did you spot it? Now, yes, that is true. Now, the seven methods, they are not to be practiced sequentially. 
Okay? All seven applies to you. All of them. Any one time, every day, that seven must be your tools in that toolbox. You cannot, one day I think my clothes match this one, I will just take this accessory. No. All seven must become a habit in your mind. Number one. Number two, if you were to look at them, if, if you were to take a look, a close look at them and look at them sequentially, you may realize, you may spot this cute thing. The very first one talks about dropping the fetter for stream entry. Remember? The very first one. But if you look at two, three, four, five, six, six, yes, two, three, four, five, six, all of them will help you to tackle the lower fetters, which essentially is greed, that, that uh, kamachanda, delight for pleasures, and weapadda, which is to calm down the mind and make it not so dosa. So they're tackling loba and dosa, loba greed, Dosa anger. But the seventh one, you need that seventh one, the seventh method to really take you to the end. The upper fetters take you all the way to the end because that seventh, that seventh method is that which helps one to really understand the nature of mind and uh, help one to eventually accept, have contentment and acceptance as your baseline habit. So it no longer chooses, it no longer clings, it accepts, it is content. I keep using the word accepting and contentment because those are not our mind's habits. You literally have to become aware of their mental state, aware of the mental state of acceptance and contentment, and then constantly allow these two mental states to become a part of your mind's habit. Buddha in Karanya Mita Sutta actually introduced another one, which is humility. I have not been using that humility, but today I would introduce it. Why humility? Humility actually helps you to say to yourself, I don't ask for more. For whatever I have, I'm grateful. It, humility supports the other two, contentment and acceptance. Because humility says, I don't ask for more. I am not, I am not entitled to things. I am, I, I, I am modest. I, I don't ask for more. If you don't ask for more, what would you have? You will have contentment, you will have gratitude. Okay? And those are the mental states that will really, think of it like the oars of the, on the boat that takes you to Nibbana. You need these little tools to fortify the mind for the practice. Okay? Question. We don't have a lot of time for questions. I have to run off for your talk. <laughs> I 
tell you what, why don't we just take two questions and then I have to go. Yeah. Okay, thank you, Sis Sylvia, for a fantastic talk. Can I uh, offer you the first question, please? If the spinning of stories is unskillful, what does this mean for empathy and active listening? Would encouraging someone else to talk about their story be reinforcing such unskillful behaviour and delight in self? How would, should we go about making others feel better in our interactions, but at the same time, not encourage unskillful thoughts or behaviour in others? Oh, that's an excellent question. Good choice. When I see spinning narratives, spinning stories, I'm describing a habit in a, nat uh, um, a natural habit. So if you were to spin, and then you delight in the story, you delight, you yourself spinning and you yourself delighting. If you are spinning and you are delighting and you are mindlessly doing it, meaning you're not, there's no awareness, all you are is caught up in the story and you're running with it, that, that mental state is unhelpful for the practice. Instead, that mental state, that, that habit will cause you to increase the Kama Asavas, Bawa Asavas, and Avijja Asavas. Okay? It is the mindless spinning, mindless spinning for self-gratification that leads to increase of the Asavas. What you are pointing out is, what about mental activities where you can have mindfulness? You can have that clarity, that mindfulness, and you can be careful not to enjoy the narratives, the spinning. So if you are, say, I would like to share with you a story about how the practice can be cultivated like this. And as you are sharing that story, actually it is a story of your practice. But you're not saying that this is my practice, this is how I enjoy it, look at me, see how good I am. Okay, please everybody rejoice and clap, clap, clap. You're not doing any of this thing. You are just pointing out the elements that people can use, they can reflect on, they can improve on. And in all the, in all the explanation, you do not, you do not be mindless, meaning you lose track of that story and lose track of the point that you are trying to teach a lesson, a teach a moral point here. Okay, you lose that. You never lost that. You are very careful to keep in mind the intent of sharing. And as you are explaining, you are also assessing, having some clarity on how people are listening or learning. So there is a part of your mind that is constantly aware. You're not enjoying, you are teaching points, you're teaching some points, people are learning, you are attentive to how they are learning and whether they're getting the point correctly. All this keeps you from getting caught up in the self. Okay? So sharing a practice, sharing wholesome stories, sharing something that people can learn and grow, but, but at the same time, you don't feel gratification. You don't feel like you're enjoying yourself. You're having a wonderful time selling yourself. You don't feel that. You're not in doing that. You, you know you're not doing that. Then it's fine. 
Buddha himself, in fact, there's an entire sutta. I think it's, it's, it's called Arya Pariyasana Sutta. Majima Nikaya, I think. I think. Huh? And he talks about his entire practice. What he did, why he did, how he did. And, and he, he, was teach, he was explaining to help people learn about the practice. Point one. Point two. When you're listening to a talk and you get caught up in the talk, you're enjoying the Dhamma, then it's not about yourself. It's only when you're listening and instead of paying full attention to what's being said and, and enjoying the, the, the learning, instead of doing that, you're thinking about, what does that mean for me? I don't agree with this, but I don't agree with this. I think it's like that. I think, I think, I believe, I say, when you have so many eyes while you are listening, then that, that is where the asavas will go up, will increase. Okay? One more question. <laughs> so sorry, uh, Sister Sylvia, how can meditation help us to cut off or prevent our bad memories from replaying in our mind? Why is it so difficult to let go of bad memories even though we do not crave for such bad memories? It's a very good question. You know, I almost regret saying only two questions. It's very good questions. You see, when there is a bad memory, there is actually clinging. You have to see that the memory is a story see as an object, clinging as a mental state, clinging as a mental state is separate from the story, okay? If you are able to distinguish between the clinging energy, a clinging mental state, and that story, the, 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 the narratives that upsets you, if you can see that difference, that distinction, then it is possible for you to forget, to drop. How? Because then the next time you become aware of the arising of this memory, instead of focusing on the narrative, you focus on the mental state of clinging. So your focus has shifted. Now you are focusing on the mental state of clinging and holding and preserving, but you're not paying attention to the story. Eventually, you realize that that story comes and go, but that clinging, the clinging is portable. You can pot it around to cling for things, to cling for memories, to cling for experiences. Clinging is now ubiquitous. It's everywhere you realize that this clinging habit is actually very much a part of the instinct, okay? Meditation done correctly will help you to recognize clinging and holding. Not the same mental state. Clinging and holding are not the same. One is stronger, one is more intense, the other one lasts longer. <laughs> lasts longer. Clinging is very intense. Ouch! You can feel that pain. Holding is a reluctance to let go. They're not the same. Okay? 
So if you do meditation correctly, you will, you will become aware of the mental states and the differences. And then that's when you, are, you can start to uh, put the correct emphasis. So instead, as I said earlier, instead of looking at the object of the memory, which is just something that comes and go, because there are many points in your mind where you don't have that memory. You may, have con you may be thinking about other things. Then you think about other things, maybe the fear arises and then, oh, it goes back to the memory. So you can actually have a break, but that clinging, that clinging is always there. That clinging is what that brings up this memory. One. Two, the more frightened you are of the memory, the more agitated you are about remembering something that you want to forget, you will then create in the mind the pathway to fear. It's a fear of, oh, I'm going to experience that again. Then you have to also see that this fear or this helplessness feeling, this agitating, they are all separate mental states. They are not one lump. You want to use your meditation, your clarity of meditation to help you. You use the, the, the capacity of the mind to go quiet and observe. You use that, that ability to then differentiate the different types of mental states. That gives your mind something to do. So as your mind is engaged in trying to identify the different types of mental states, you will then become aware that actually they are all different mental states. And it's because of a habit that I lump them all together and then, it, then they confront me as a mob, a mob of mental states. But if you are able to identify them as different mental states, then basically you're breaking their union and you, can, you will feel that you are better at tackling the different mental states. Okay? I hope this helps. Thank you, Sis Sylvia, for the huge compassion in answering our doubts. Shall we go on to... Uh, I will just read one more, one more um, a, a reminder to everyone. Huh? I usually like to remind everyone that the Dhamma is not just for ourselves, but for others also. So that we are so blessed to have the Dhamma, we must also share the blessings. Hmm? Hence this, this reminder, ingratitude. I shall read it again. If you had experienced joy listening to the Dhamma, do consider honoring our teacher by putting into practice his first teaching to the lay community. Bichaga, generous. Donate, help, give support of time and energy to a worthy charity or spiritual organization of your choice at your convenience. Be joyous in the giving. We must never take for granted the blessings that we have enjoyed in this life. As our forerunners had done it right by us, we must continue the good work for those who come after. May the Dhamma last long. 
may we continue to enjoy supportive conditions for learning and practice, and may we never deviate from the true teaching as long as life lasts. Uh, let us dedicate merits, inviting all the devas here and uh, sentient beings to participate in our acquired merits. Etavata cha amhehi sampadang punya sampadang sabbe deva anumodantu sabbe sampati siddhya etavata cha amhehi sampadang punya sampadang sabbe buta anumodantu Sabba sampati siddhya etta vata cha amhehi sampadang punya sampadang sabbe satta anumodantu sabba sampati siddhya Dedication of merits to our departed our relatives and friends Idang me nyati nang ho tu sukita hon tu nyatayo. Idang me nyati nang ho tu sukita hon tu nyatayo. Idang me nyati nang ho tu sukita hon tu nyatayo. Closing homage, let us pay respects to the Triple Gem. Arahang sama sambuddho bhagawa Buddhakam bhagawantang abhiwademi Swakato bhagawata dhammo Dhammang namasami Supatipano bhagavato sawakasango sanggang namami sadu sadu sadu. Thank you all for coming along for this Saturday's talk.